Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. There is a theological term known as divine fiat. I want to uh, say it again, divine fiat. Originally, this is a Latin expression that defines a fixed form of words by which a person in authority gives sanction. Later, it became a pronouncement or a decree by a person that has absolute authority to enforce whatever they pronounce or decree. And I'll say that again. This Latin expression became a pronouncement or decree by a person having absolute authority to enforce whatever he pronounced or decreed. Divine fiat is what Bible scholars use to describe the process of creation, of how God created the world. Biblically speaking, divine fiat means to speak into being. It's a process by which God created something out of nothing simply by his word. This principle is at the heart of the Old Testament Genesis account of creation, but is also seen in the New Testament. It's been said that the Gospel of John is the New Testament Genesis. One reason is because they both start the same way, in the beginning. But upon careful examination, we'll find that they both speak of creation. Now, uh, Jeff Brothers already stole any thunder that this might have had with an explanation. But I want to bring something else to your memory. John's gospel is unique from the other three gospels in several ways. The other three gospels are called synoptic gospels because they go along the same line. But John is unique. And one of the ways is in the use of the number seven that John employs. God completed his work of creation in six days. And on the seventh day, God stopped and simply admired his perfect, completed work. And this led to the idea of the concept of perfection and completion being attached to the number seven throughout Scripture. So wherever you see seven, one of those things applies. John's Gospel contains seven public miracles, and I do want you to understand they're public. These are by no means all of the miracles, but seven public miracles. And for some of you Bible readers, you're familiar with some, if not all of them. Number one, 
Jesus created water, well, created wine from water. He turned water into wine. You'll find that early on in chapter 2, verse 9. Number two, Jesus healed what's called a nobleman's son. This was an incident where Jesus told him that his son was healed and he went home and said, your son's alive. He said, when did he get better? Found out it was the exact time that Jesus said, your son will live. Number three, Jesus healed a crippled man who had been crippled for 38 years at a pool called Bethesda. And that's found in John 5, 2 and 9. Number four, Jesus fed 5,000 people, men, plus women and children. Bob just recorded the men, 5,000 from two little fish and five loaves of bread. You'll find this in chapter 6. And then in chapter 6 also, you'll find number 5, where Jesus walks on the water. Number six, you'll find that Jesus healed a blind man from birth. This man has been blind all his life. In chapter nine. And the seventh public miracle is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. In chapter 11. Had been dead four days. By now his body should have been decaying, as his sister said. But John... Gospel also records what is known as the seven I am's. Now, I am is a term which implies self existence. It, it literally means to be. And, and, and thank you, Jeff. The thought is God is, God always has been, and God always will be. Now, I am. The literal Hebrew translation is Yaha. Some of you may understand it as Yahweh or Jehovah. It is a personal covenant name. It's the name that God gave to Moses to identify himself to his people. Now I want you to really understand something because prior to this point, God's people only knew him by titles. They did not know him by name. They know, knew him as Elion, which is the creator, the thing of all things. They knew him as El Elion, which means the God is most high. And they knew him as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But they didn't know him by name. Uh, okay. I have a, I have a few titles that, that some of you, you call me. I'm on a personal na nature, so I'm calling me Pop. Some call me Reverend, some call me Doctor, but most call me Pastor. That ain't my name. My wife don't call me none of those things. I got some title that she used, maybe Baby or Sweetie, but when she wanted to get a point across, she called me Dave. Or when she really wanted to get a point across, she'd go back to my mama, David. And my name is actually Dave. But I want you to understand, it was important that Israel knew the name of God because all other gods had name, but their God only had title. What's my point? Both these seven miracles and the seven 
I am used by God, had a purpose. David saw that John readers would believe that Jesus was not only the Christ, not only the Son of God, but Jesus was actually indeed God in flesh, the creator of heaven and earth. I want you to keep this in mind as we examine this text. Because as we go through it, a lot of this thing really becomes very clear to you. Because I want to really make a point when we talk about Christmas. Let's look at the text again. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starts this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John Gospel says that in the beginning was the Word. You notice I put emphasis on that. John uses the, what we have, the Greek word logos, or logos, for worry. It conveys more than the English definition of worry. A little bit more about that later. Logos is a divine expression from God. The Greek word translated in the beginning does not mean a starting point. It means an origin of source. And in this context, it means the eternal state before the world was created. Now, I want you to notice something again. John does not say a worry. He says the worry. See, a worry is a unit of speech used to express ourselves to others or to express a thought as Jeff Bernard may be in your mind. But John ain't writing about speech. John is writing about a person. And to make this clear, look with me at verse 3. All things were made by him. Not, not, I don't think you can miss that. That's a person. And without him was not anything made that was made. John places this emphasis here on the work of the word in creation. Some people will say God the Father thought it and then spoke it through the word and the Holy Spirit did the word. The word is the source of creation and everything that was created was created by him. He, that is him, is eternal and creator of all things. If there's a thing that is made, it was made by him. And as creator, he's superior to everything he created, including you and I. Let's examine verse 4 a little slowly. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. This little short verse has so much. The word did not simply possess life, but it was a source of life. Both physical and spiritual life. When you were born from your mother's womb, you had physical life. If you received Christ and been born again, now you got spiritual life. But whether physical 
or spiritual, all life comes from him. But not only does the word give life, it's also the light of men. Light enables mankind to see in darkness. Light provides us with guidance and direction in order for us to know our true purpose of life. The light gives us a roadmap to our destiny as we travel this dark pathway of life. Hmm. Let me just do something. I didn't, didn't think about this, but I want you to see the, uh, Bobby kill the lights in the church. In the church. Just turn it off, everything off. Notice that you see some things still in this darkness. You see these candles and you see the screen. Why do you see the screen? Because the screen got light. Oh, you can turn it back on. No matter how dark an area is, when the light shines, you can see it. Hold that thought because I'm getting ahead of myself, getting too excited here. The Genesis account speaks of when it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So the first divine fiat was let there be light. And guess what? There was no pause. There was no intermission. There was no gradual comment. It was. God spoke it, and it happened. Now, I want you to compare this with John's account when we go to verse 5 of John 1. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, now you can get confused, and this is why I love the language so much, and I guess this is why God called me to do stuff like this. You can get confused with this word in the King James, comprehended. Because this word has many biblical applications. But in this context, this word is better understood as take over or to overcome. So again, no matter how dark an area is, you will be able to see even the, the smallest light. You know that you can see these candles when the thing went out. Now, I thought about this as I was going it. You can see the smallest light in the darkest area. Where do you work at? Where do you go to school at? What's going on in your home? The, 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 the sometimes it seems like it's dark and dreary. Well, guess what? You, 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 you can see the smallest light if it's turned on. So, Claire, when you were singing the song this morning that let us all, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
Lesha, Lesha, Lesha. And then the song says, Everywhere I. Where you, where, where you go? Where were you Friday night? Everywhere I go, I'm going to do what? Where, where, where you buy your groceries at, Pat? Everywhere I go, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, really? Because there's some places that you go where you don't want your Christian light to shine. Oh, you may want the lights of the party to go on, but you don't want... Let me bring a point out here. Jesus called the devil the power of darkness in Luke 5. I'm excuse me, Luke 22, 53. Paul called the devil the power of darkness in Colossians 1.13. But the devil cannot put out your light if you got one. But what he will do is tempt you to hide your light. You're in a work environment and everybody else is acting devilish. And the first thing they're going to say about you, oh, you think you somebody? What 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 they call you holy roly or fanatic Jesus and then you begin to get ashamed and you know what you do you begin to turn the lights and the screen off now you don't see nothing and that's the way it is with some of us because the darkness have overcome our light because we let it do it. Turn it back on now. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and 9 that we have been called out of darkness into Jesus' marvelous light. And Dr. Dunbar, perhaps this is the verse that motivates the songwriter to say, let your light shine. Shine, shine. Maybe somebody down in the valley, Deacon Taylor, trying to get home. They can't get there if your light's not shining. Picking up the text, verse 6 and 9, records the ministry of John the baptizer. He came to testify of the light. And in doing so, he lost his life. Because Herod the king would marry his brother's wife. And John the baptizer in his light was saying, you are wrong, Herod. And lost his life. 
There's a reason many of us are trying to hide our light. We are, guess what, Jeff? We are fearful. As if God don't exist. We are fearful to lose this earthly life. Let me tell you, you're going to lose your earthly life anyway. But John wanted his readers to know that John the Baptist was only a witness of the true light that was going to come. And that's all we are who have the light and not ashamed to let it shine. And the question, are you ashamed to be a Christian? Have you been in an environment where you could have said, no, I don't believe that because I'm a Christian? And you kept your mouth shut. You are a witness of the true light to come, just like John the Baptist. And just because you stand up, don't believe that everybody's going to receive it, but it's going to be a testimony for you. Let's look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. See, see, these are these invisible attributes that Jeff was talking about. You can make all kind of excuses for what you see visible that it came from some other place. A little bit more on that later. But the failure for these people not to recognize the source of creation was not because God's nature was hidden. I'm going to give you two factors that caused these people not to recognize their creator. Number one, human ignorance. Human ignorance. Look with me in the prophet Isaiah chapter 1, verse 3. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey is master's creator. But Israel, that's God's people, does not know my people, God is speaking, do not consider. There's an old saying that said, don't bite the hand that feeds you. You see, God's people, Israel, didn't mentally forget God, but they physically acted like Yahweh was not their God. That that, that, that brings home. The way they were acting was like the heathens. You see, they were called to be holy. That is uh, to, to be distinctly different from the nation around them. We are called to be holy and different. And if that means changing our dress, changing our lifestyle, changing our language, there ought to be a difference between us and the world. You see, when God's people lose sight of who they are, 
It comes because they have fallen in love with this world. So the first one is human ignorance. Even, even an animal, even an animal knows what feed them. See, sometimes we get the thing in our education, our job is our source. The second reason that we, as humanity, don't recognize the Creator is satanic blindness. Satanic blindness. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't even believe in, in the devil, but, but look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, is here for them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest, guess what? The light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe that God created everything. Yet there are millions of very highly educated people who reject creation. They refuse to acknowledge the light of the truth because the power of darkness have blinded their mind. No, we don't understand everything that's in the Bible, but there's enough for us to understand that some of this mess that people are pushing to us about how you came into being and what's going on on this earth. I ain't an, uh, in, in, the, in the bloodline of no monkey. But this is a warning to the local church. When we begin to place our trust in worldly tactics, program, and practices just to increase membership or revenue, we're in danger of putting our light under a bushel. We become ashamed of letting our light shine. We may indeed increase membership and our revenue, but we will lose the purpose of our light. And our purpose is to save souls to bring someone else to Christ. What good is it to have a church with a thousand people and 900 of them are going to hell? Just going back to John now, verse 11 and 12. He came unto his own, his own received him not, but but as many received them, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John referring to the Jewish nation when he says his own. This is a sad testimony. Because the Hebrews had been praying for the Messiah for a long time, many years. But when Jesus came, because he did not meet their expectation. As a nation, they rejected him. Likewise, today, 
our nature has rejected the word of God. It's amazing. We have his title on our money. We have his name in our constitution. Even in our judicial system, we're going to say his name. But we won't obey his word. And individually, many Christians have rejected the word of God because it does not meet their lifestyle. God still created male and female and designed them to procreate. You ain't going to change that. God tell us to have sex within the confounds of marriage. You ain't going to change that. God tell children to obey their parents. You ain't going to change that. But because things don't fit our personal agenda or our lifestyle, we end up making excuses. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> what, what, what you say, Jeff, the other week? Marijuana is natural. It grows. So ain't nothing wrong with me smoking it. I will. But, 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 the scripture goes on to say there were those, both Jews and Gentiles, who did receive them. Now, this word receive means more than believe. It means to take hold of something, to grasp something. I'm going to stop right there, man, because God gave me an example when I was looking at this morning. Because, Jeff, this is all based on trust, not sight, not feeling, not what you think. Receive. Let's say that you were on vacation and you were out camping and somehow you end up falling down in a ravine. And here comes somebody that threw you a rope down there. Got a little knots on it. And they holding it right here. What you going to do? You going to grab hold to it. And you going to hold on. Now, if you get down there and say, oh, that rope ain't real. That rope ain't strong enough to hold me. You're going to sit there and you're going to die. But if you believe it, that's your deliverance. Reverend Lee, you're you going to hold on. You're going you to receive your blessing and you're going to hold on for all you're worth. Those who receive the word and believe it, grab hold to it, will grant it the blessed authority to be called the children of God. It's been said by a lot of people that don't know no better. We are all God's children, not so. We are all God's created beings, but only those who have grabbed hold. Receives him as Savior and Lord of his children. 
in the Genesis account, y'all get this now, of creation. Adam was formed from the dust of the earth in the likeness and image of God. In John's gospel, God was incarnated, making himself in the likeness and image of man. Now say it again. In Genesis account, Adam was formed in the image and likeness of God. In John's account, God transformed himself into the image and likeness of man. That's where verse 14 comes into play. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You notice it didn't say the only begotten Son? Keep that in mind. See, Jesus was not a created being. He did not become a person at the time that the babe was born in Bethlehem. The Greek word made flesh is translated cause to be. That divine fiat poured himself into human form. And by being in human form does not mean he ceased to be in less God. Now, I have a doctoral robe that I put on for communion. I have a clergy collar on that tells me I'm under the yoke of the Lord. But if I turn over here and, and messed up and put on the orange jumpsuit, I'm still Dave. And that's all flesh was to the worry. Something to wear. That word glory refers to the revelation of God. It speaks of the total essence and activity of God. What does all this mean? God's created beings, humanity, have fallen into the darkness of sin. They lost the light in the Garden of Eden. Jesus became flesh. To be the light to redeem us from the devil-induced darkness. And it was impossible for that darkness to defeat the light. And the reality of this, Dr. Dunbar, was that the resurrection. The scripture lets us know that when he got up all power, yeah, I, I can go somewhere with that, the old school, on the third day. All power. It may have been dark down there in Sheol. But early that Sunday morning, the light came on. <laughs> I'll let you finish it, Paul. Jesus, keep in there.
not only the source of creation, he is the source of salvation. Jesus was at the beginning of creation, but he also be at the end of damnation. You can receive him now as Lord, or you can see him later as judge. By coming into the world, Jesus revealed to us what God is like, full of truth and grace. By taking on human form, Jesus revealed to us what we should be like. By dying on the cross, he told us how much he loved us. And by us responding to the invitation of cybership, we tell him how much we love him. Do you love him today? Do you love him today? Well, stand on your feet and give him praise for his salvation. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.